Okay, so when you're young and you have older siblings or older cousins, sometimes you'll get hand-me-down clothes, including, but not limited to, hand-me-down jeans. Now, hand-me-down jeans look a little different in the natural world, and it turns out a lot of the abilities that we have and other animals have are just hand-me-down genes from bacteria. We'll talk all about this and more in this episode of Short Stories Bacteria. I am Dr. K, and I would like to personally welcome you back to yet another episode of Short Stories of Bacteria, where we learn all about the fascinating microscopic world that is going all around us and inside of us. If this is your first time listening, welcome aboard. We are a pretty chill group over here at Short Stories of Bacteria, but whilst you are here, be sure to give us a follow and a share. Um, also, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Science with Dr. K. That's Science with Dr. Underscore K for more fun science content. But enough about all that nonsense, Dr. K. What is this that I'm hearing about our abilities came from bacteria, something like that, right? So in order to understand all of this, we need to go back and learn a little bit more about the origins of life and evolution of life from the simplest of creatures, okay? So if we look back in time, the first real organisms that we know of were microscopic unicellular organisms right so we obviously don't know all the first organisms we weren't there but one thing we do know is that one of the first unicellular organisms could be classified as a bacteria one of those first forms of bacteria that we know of um, were called cyanobacteria and you may know a little about a little bit about cyanobacteria already but um, if you don't it's this type of bacteria that's well known for being able to do photosynthesis it's uh, able to generate oxygen in fact um, as these cyanobacteria started to grow and, and take over the world, um, that continuous release of oxygen led to uh, an event in our natural history called the Great Oxidation Event, right? Having all this oxygen around led to this event called the Great Oxidation Event. And what that did is that integrated oxygen is, is a greater component in our atmosphere. And as that Great Oxidation Event occurred, as we introduced more oxygen into this atmosphere— there emerged an environment that was that allowed for the evolution of not just these bacterial cells, but also unicellular eukaryotic cells, or cells that have an actual nucleus. They'll have organelles, including the mitochondria, which some call the powerhouse of the cell. And of course, these eukaryotic cells then are the precursors to our own cells, right? So we have cyanobacteria uh, and those bacteria back in back in the day to thank for the fact that we exist at all. So cool, thank thank those bacteria. Uh, but how does this relate to what we said earlier? Um, well, let's think about it this way. So once the Earth started to fill up with the eukaryotes, the bacteria didn't just go away. Obviously, they continued to evolve into the great diversity of bacteria that we have now. Right. Meanwhile, the quote unquote eukaryotic line continued to evolve parallel to the quote-unquote bacterial line. You can think about it as two parallel lines of the eukaryotes and then the bacteria, right? This is, I'm speaking very generally here. What's really cool, though, is that even though these two very general groups are in distinct lines of evolution, that doesn't mean that they can't influence each other at a genetic level. And this introduces a topic called horizontal gene transfer, which is a really, really interesting phenomenon. 
um, that we see as a way of transferring actual genes from one cell to another cell. Now, on another episode in the podcast, maybe next week, probably next week, who knows, um, we'll talk about the actual mechanism by which horizontal gene transfer works. But for now, all you need to know is that this is a way that genes can be physically transferred from one cell to another cell. Once those genes have been transferred, they can be maintained, they can be tweaked using the typical mechanisms of, evolutions, of evolution excuse me, that we know. And as such, they can also play a role in determining which species are selected for over evolutionary time. Okay. Now, the total impact that horizontal gene transfer has on evolution just as a mechanism is still being discussed. It's being discovered. It's being debated by scientists right now. Um, but what's notable about horizontal genes transfer is that whenever people typically talk about it, I'll call it HGT from now on because horizontal gene transfer is a little long. Um, whenever they talk about HGT, they typically talk about it in terms of bacterial or prokaryotic HGT. Um, if you've taken a biology class, you'll usually see a picture of two bacteria hanging out and there's like this long tube connecting one bacteria to the other. And then you'll read in the description of the picture, you'll say something about HGT. Then usually they'll make some comment here about binary fission, something like that. You might know what I'm talking about. But in any event, the topic primarily concerns itself with bacterial transfer of genes. And this typically overshadows any discussion about eukaryotic transfer of genes. But what's really, really cool is that not only is it possible for eukaryotes to transfer and pick up genes between each other, so they can give genes to each other, they can also exchange and transfer and pick up genes from microbial sources as well. Okay, I'm going to say that again. Not only can eukaryotes transfer and pick up genes from each other, they can also transfer and pick up genes from microbial sources. Now let's take that concept, blend it with the earlier concept of our parallel lines of evolution, right? We had initially our very simplistically defined bacterial line over here on the left, and we had our very simplistically defined eukaryotic line on the right, right? And they were just going parallel to each other and they didn't intersect. But what's actually really happening across evolutionary time is that as these two lines continue to spread and evolve, they could also there can also collect DNA and genes from each other in certain specific contexts, right? So there's a little bit of overlap, not an overlap, but there's little lines of genetic information that are going from one parallel line to the other parallel line. Now, wait a minute, Dr. K, you say, suddenly gaining a bit of interest. So you're telling me that some of the genes that gave rise to our human characteristics could actually have been gained from a bacterial species somewhere during the course of our evolution. And yes, my dear listener, that is exactly what I am saying. And I'm saying something even more. I'm saying that all animals and insects that we see today could have taken different genes from bacteria at different points and used that as precursors to something in their evolution. Okay, Dr. K, you say shaken but not stirred. Let's finally rip this Band-Aid off. What kind of genes are we talking about? It's probably the gene for our appendix, right? No. How about the gene for our eyes? In this really, really cool paper that came out of UC San Diego very recently, a group of researchers made a neat discovery involving a gene that makes a protein that sits right next to the retina in humans. Okay. This protein plays a really, really important role in transferring what our eye takes in, taking that, and then passing it on to the optic nerve. Right. Therefore, it's a really, really important ingredient in vision for literally all vertebrates. Okay. 
the researchers found that this gene was actually really genetically similar to a group of bacterial genes called peptidases. Now, when you put that in an evolutionary context, they took this to mean that over 500 millions ago, a bacterial cell shipped over one of these peptidase genes to a eukaryotic cell, and then the eukaryotic cell then used that over the course of evolution, and, that, and it served as the precursor to light-sensing molecules, and then eventually the eyes that we see in virtually all vertebrates. Wow, how crazy, Dr. K, you say, awestruck and overwhelmed. How cool is that? Is that the only example you have for me? Well, no, I actually have another cool instance because you get two stories today. Um, you thought that the eyes were very cool, and it turns out the eyes are very cool. What do you think about caterpillar venom? Here's another example. So there's, it turns out there is a caterpillar called the asp caterpillar. You may have seen something like it before. Um, asp caterpillars are found in North America. Um, they have a characteristic kind of fluffy, furry look to them. They can be either gray or brown or, or black or something like that. But they always tend to have this like orange line that runs down their back. It's just a very distinctive characteristic. But in any event, the furriness, the fluffiness of the asp caterpillar is actually a way of concealing a bunch of little stingers that inject venom into whatever it touches. And that venom is extraordinarily painful. It could send you to the hospital, so do not touch the fluffy caterpillar. I repeat, do not touch the fluffy. Um, but in any event, um, if you zoom in, right, if you zoom into when the venom touches your skin, for example, if you zoom into that, the way this venom works is through a, a specific little protein. And what it does is it binds to the membranes of cells and then organizes itself into a little donate donut shop. Sh whoa, donut. I almost said donut shop. <laughs> no, it does not organize itself into a donut shop. It organizes itself into a donut shape before poking holes through the membrane, and that causes the cell to burst. Now, what's really, really cool, though, is that just like the eye genes, there's indications that this protein also had a bacterial origin. There's another plucky group of researchers out of the University of Queensland where they found that this mechanism of killing cells is actually really similar to how a lot of bacteria go about killing cells. So similar then to the gene mentioned in the eye, the working hypothesis then is that the cells that eventually evolved into pokey little caterpillars picked up their pokiness from a bacteria about 400 million years ago. So how crazy is that? Um, but let's wrap this up and get out of here for the day. Uh, number one. Some of the oldest known organisms on our planet were bacteria, and they contributed to making an environment where eukaryotes could evolve. Number two, one player in that evolution is horizontal gene transfer, HGT, which is when genes are physically moved from one organism to another. Number three, in spite of the fact that this is primarily talked about in bacteria, movement of DNA occurs in other types of cells and can even move from one type of cell, like a prokaryote, to another, like a eukaryote. And finally, number four, some of our vision genes and some venom genes in the caterpillar likely owe their origin to a bacterial transfer hundreds of millions of years ago in the past. It is a really, really, really cool story that indicates, firstly, how interconnected life on Earth is. I think that's so neat. Um, and secondly, how much we have to thank the lowly bacteria for not only our existence, period, but some of our individual characteristics. But in any event, that is what I have for you today. Thank you all so much for tuning in this week. Next week, I think we'll chit-chat a little bit more about HGT and how it works, so you do not want to miss out on that. But until then, have a wonderful and blessed day, and I'll see you next time on another episode of Short Stories of Bacteria. I'm Dr. Kang. See ya.